let's begin. Ready? Recite your baseline. Hi and good evening and thanks for joining us again. Tonight I'm joined by my other very good friend, Kevin Fleming. And tonight we're going to be talking about our band Tempest, which has been about for some time. Thank you for joining me, Kevin, tonight. How are you? Yeah, not bad yourself. Uh, good, good. We've got a lot to cover tonight, really, uh, haven't we? Yeah, long time. It's a long, long history. Uh, we've been making music for about 35 years. It must be. Thereabouts. Yeah. Um, just like a quick recap on where we're coming from. We met at Sunday school. I was going to say school, but the sad truth is it was actually Sunday school. Mouth organ practice. Mouth organ practice. We were taught by Mrs. Magnuson. And yes, you'd be right in thinking that is the wife of Magnus Magnuson, the famous mastermind questionnaire. She uh, taught Kevin and I how to play mouth organ when we were young nippers. I mean, must have been what? Primary school age. Seven or eight. Yeah, that was the start of the musical it was. journey. The journey started there, and then from there we went to school together, and pretty much from first year really, we hooked up with a love of similar types of music. Thomas Dolby was one of them. Yeah. Japan was another. Yeah, big style. Uh, you know, but Gary Newman. Gary Newman. Yeah. Uh, all these things, and when we were young, I remember you and I exchanging tapes. Yeah. And looking and back on that, we were actually ahead of our time yeah, because that was, that was before that kind of caught our imagination that we could do this it was a kind of production-y thing that was when we first started our love of music and then when we were maybe what second or third year we decided that we would get a couple of pals together and uh, we were very lucky to have your mum and dad had a lovely barn at the back of their house yep and uh, they allowed us to basically go out and make a racket. It wasn't lovely as I remember, it was festive with spiders, so I remember it. <laughs> but well, right. still, it was lovely at the time because it, it's somewhere we could go and Martin could set his drums up. And, yeah, it was great. And Cameron could bring his guitar like lucky. it. Aye. Well, it was great. I mean, we were rotten. None of us could really play. Well, yeah. Some would say that that hasn't really changed, but... <laughs> But it's funny you say that. I, I didn't do any lessons. You did. You did stuff at school. I didn't do any of that. Well, I was too much of a rebel at school. That's true. At school, I started off playing trombone, and uh, I was kind of forced into it. Not forced into it, but my music teachers kind of said to me, "Listen, Stuart, you know, you've obviously got a musical ear. I think you should play something. How about the trombone?" Well, you were lucky. I never. I remember my parents asking me, "Did I want to learn violin?" It's my biggest regret to this day. I said, nah, "No, no, no." I mean, I was about eight years old, and no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And I've, I bloody wish I did and I'd learned how to, to read music but it scares me to this day that I don't I don't really want to know too much because I think it takes away the spontaneity I mean I was lucky in the fact that the trombone wasn't for me I hated it and I was going to give it up I remember going back to my school teacher at the time Mr Norville God bless him but when he asked you to go in and blow his trombone <laughs> did that you know is that what did it for you? <laughs> Oh, really? I don't you know. What, what are we? Less than five minutes into the podcast, and Too Kevin, Stella, really. Kevin manages to uh, you know lower the tone. No, well, Mister Normal, let me tell you, he was a lot of things. I know he he did have a relationship with a schoolgirl, which he obviously was a bit dodgy. But however, when I told him that I didn't want to do trombone, he said, "Well, listen, Stuart, what is it you want to do? Because you know I really want to encourage you. I think you've got an ear. What do you want to do?" And he said, "Well, listen, the only thing I'm interested in is synthesizers." I love Gary Newman and I want to play a synth. So he actually went out and bought a Juno 106 for the school, mm-hmm. which uh, myself, Gordon Sterling, Paul Murray. And Paul Murray, he ended up buying one. And yeah, a 106, and, didn't yeah, he? Paul Murray was so impressed he went and bought a 106. But that was really 
what did it for me because as soon as I got the scent I thought right this is where it's at and yeah. loved it and it, it wasn't long after that that we decided to yeah. start having a jam you had a 106 yourself no 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 I had a Juno 6 but I don't, I don't know when I got the Juno but 6 you had that wee Yamaha thing I had a little that? tiny Yamaha thing but it's day it was great I can remember I was what I bought it in the Kelvin Hall at the Modern Homes exhibition with I was small working. keys and all that yeah and it was, tiny, it was just a tiny wee thing it was like a wee mini Moog is what Aye, it was like that was Gals but I had all these presets really dodgy drum rhythms and all that and I started writing wee tracks on that and I can remember Probably before we started playing, I can remember playing with Cami Fair. He was on guitar and I was in this ridiculous little thing. For about a year, we farted about with that. And yeah, but that's what got me into it. I was so chuffed with it when I bought it as well. But it wasn't a synthesizer, it was a little keyboard. Ah, oh, but well, it had some synthy sounds, it was cool. Yeah, it was but then Martin McCready, good friend of ours at the time, decided to buy a drum kit. And he didn't have any more to practice. Very luckily, there was room up here, so we put it up here, set it up, and then the barn became a kind of jam haven for us all, it didn't did. it? it and uh, we would come up here every every week. We were about 17 at the time. Yeah. And we would thrash out the likes of Cars covers. The Cars were easy because they were like they were four easy. chord songs. They were like 1960s right. tracks, weren't they? Yeah, it was just they were great. Dog stand but great learning to them. Mm-hmm. It was good. We actually even got around to write a few of our own as well at the time, which are probably best left in the darkest corner of uh, yeah but it was the start history, but uh, it's the start of you finding your own way yeah. learning to play things and make your own stuff up because I think one thing we always agreed on was we weren't really we didn't really want to play other people's music particularly we always wanted to do our own thing and, and I think we've, we certainly did achieve that eventually once we got past the, the cars so we were jamming the band for a good few years and we had a couple of songs that were you know okay and uh, I at that point in my life, yeah, got the opportunity to move down to Manchester to do a sound engineering course. Well, because you were doing sound engineering, we had the opportunities to record a track or two, and we decided we would make it. It was for your project, was it for an exam project? Yeah, or something? I don't, uh, well, it was my final. My final project was to record uh, a, a couple of tracks from start to finish. You know, I remember coming down. I remember I must have come down a couple, two or three times because I can remember going to get in the bus from Buchanan Street down to Manchester and it was the first time I'd really gone away and travelled on my own certainly the first time I'd ever been on a big trip like a bus on my own so I went in with my guitar, my bass guitar, my back getting on the bus, it was like it was like my Greyhound bus experience I felt like I was going down the, this big road trip and I think I remember rightly we had a bit of a bit of a few days there yeah a long weekend of debauchery but it was good it was our first sort of studio experience wasn't it was it, it was, uh, it was and, yeah. you know in the environment of actually having to record in a fairly serious manner uh, you know i was still a student right enough so i didn't really know what i was doing yeah but for me i'd never been in a studio you're sitting there with this big 48 track tack scorpion desk remember oh, it absolutely built yeah, i mean yeah, they wouldn't do that now because it's all we do it all on computers yeah but this big massive desk with 48 sliders it felt felt superb. It was quite an experience. Um, it was a good learning curve. I mean, I don't think the end results were <laughs> were really worth mentioning. No. But however, it was, you know... We did it, learn a lot. It, it was the start of it. Yeah, we learned a lot. We had and a great so, laugh as well. Yeah. And then, um, so after Manchester, I came back up the road and that's when we started to get a little bit more serious, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I went out and bought a couple of... Well, I bought my first synthesizer, my first sampler and a Sansui six-track which was a 
a great tool for recording. Um, we'd had a four track before, which was great, but to have those extra couple of tracks really let us experiment. I had onboard effects so and all that. It made a big difference to us because we were big reverb people, still are. And uh, you know, it made a huge difference to our sound back then, if I, if I remember rightly. Yeah, and uh, so when we came up, uh, I bumped into Jonesy. He somehow got involved with us and came over um, for a jam one night. And we knew pretty much straight away, didn't we, that he was yeah. the guitarist for us? Because he was just in the same wavelength. He was very much tuned into what, or the way we thought. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was more go-ahead, he was more kind of aggressive, probably. And his attitude, you know, our glass was always half empty. His was always, this is brilliant, I'm great, let's listen to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that gave us enthusiasm. A bit of impetus. Because he was almost fully himself. Yeah. We kind of thought, well, you know, this is great. It is sounding good. We are actually all right. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was And we had similar us. tastes in music, I think. Yeah, yeah. But it was a classic thing where you didn't really know the guy very well, but we instantly gelled and you wrote some really good guitar stuff. The first track that we did together, it was called uh, Precious. This was a bit of a milestone for us because um, back then we hadn't really written a proper song. And to this day, it still holds dear in my heart. You know, I listen to this track now and it's what, 35 year old? You know, I wouldn't say it brings a tear to the glass eye, but... Yeah, and at that time we were all very much into Sylvian and all the rest of it. It was a bit of a homage, wasn't it, really, yeah. to, to, to that sort of style? Well, we thought it was anyway. And Jonesy's guitar playing is uh, yeah, it's it's really great, sweet. Great chords. I remember, t you know, because it was a four track, you, it isn't like now we can just overdub wee bits. You have to do the whole thing in a runner. Yeah. So it was like... Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, <laughs> from start to finish, start to finish, start to finish, uh, over and over and over again. But yeah. that was all part of it at the time. So mm. here's a little bit of uh, Precious. I do, it's not a song I really listen to very often, but every time I hear it, it takes me right back. And you know, Jonesy was involved with us not for very long, really, but he, he was the first person we'd met outside of our own group that was that we were tuned into. And he came up with two or three other tracks. In fact, I think there's a track later on, Butterflies, and he wrote that as well on his guitar, which we always wanted to make to something, but unfortunately, 
uh, his stability wasn't great and he, he disappeared and we, we, we're not in touch I, with well, him. Well, from what I remember was uh, his last words to me were he'd been offered a gig with the Cocteau Twins when he was uh, off yeah. touring Europe yeah. and uh, he would he would see us when he got back and that, yeah. was, that was pretty much the last time we saw him. Yeah, he did have a fictional world. Yeah. It was a short but sweet love affair. It was. Him. It was great. So once he left, uh, at the time I was working in a garden centre and we realised that we needed a guitarist in the band and I happened to mention to this boy Jimmy Hay at the garden centre that we were looking for a guitarist and he said oh actually I've been playing guitar for a wee while and wouldn't mind coming up for a jam so that was the start of the Jimmy Hay days he came up and again it was an instant bond we liked him a lot he wasn't quite as gifted as Jonesy uh, to begin with he was pretty shit let's face it (laughs) 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 that's true actually time he wasn't bra back in the day was it He'd, you know, he would he would play as the music in the track rather than trying to take it over with a, a mega Black Sabbath solo. Yeah. Which, if I remember rightly, to go back to the chap that we took down to Manchester, uh, you know, he just kept going off in these mad solos. And but I think that's quite typical of guitarists. And Jimmy wasn't typical from that way. He wanted to play with the music, and that was refreshing. So one of the things that Jimmy did do for us was actually hooking us up with uh, some friends of his called Glass Onion. I can't remember the girl's name. She was a cracking singer. And um, uh, Andy, what's his second name? Who's now in Travis? Andy, I should probably have had that looked up. Yeah, very anyway, important. Andy. Andy from Travis and another couple of guys, uh, Chris and Jeff, Jeff yeah. Martin. They asked me if I would mind doing their sound for them at the local Glasgow well, pubs. Just remember, you were one talented guy to them. That's they right. didn't actually know the truth. For some reason, they did seem to think I was some gifted sound engineer. God knows how I managed to convince them of that. But anyway, we met these guys, went to the various pubs, engineering for them, and they were good laughs, weren't they? Well, they were funny for me and Jimmy, because we just sat laughing at you. So. <laughs> As you sweated over the desk. You can imagine the wee pubs of Glasgow full of drunken old jakes and old grannies with their sherries and, their, you know, there's this young band in. To be fair, Glass Onion, they did covers of things like uh, Fleetwood Mac and everything. There were tracks people knew. They were popular from that point of view. It would never have been us, let's put it that way. It wasn't long after that that we then jumped in to do our first studio session, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, we did that at Sing Sing in White Inch. And it was the start of the, the collective, if you like, because we started bringing in different people. That was really good for us because we learned a bit, gave us a bit of a different sound. We had uh, Ian Whitelaw in helping us, almost producing that that session, if I remember rightly. I remember the sound engineer, Sandy, was a bit of a speedhead, wasn't he? He was uh, yeah. always wired. He was quite wild, but then to be fair to him, we would keep him up all night. If I remember. Yeah, that's Sometimes you just went through till six in the morning. Uh, those are the days you could just go home and go to your bed and sleep most of the day. Uh, those days seem to be gone, but yeah, that was when we started. It's a different approach, really, because we, we brought in different people. And we did a song called Northern Street, which is about the Clyde, etc. And we did The Everyday Man, which was, was the better of the two tracks. It was more us. Northern Street was a bit more poppy, wasn't it? Whereas uh, Everyday Man was a, a good laid back, you know, we got in, if I remember rightly, Mac. I can't remember his real name or his surname, but Mac was, he did a great sax solo. I loved that and I still love it to this day. I think it was the great. sax solo was great, but uh, unfortunately, I actually wasn't there for that part of the session. I had left by then. I think that's probably what improved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. I'd bugger off to Canada by then with Martin and you sent over the finished demo to me and uh, I remember being blown away thinking that sounds really really good it was a slicker sound that we'd put together and it was the first time we really had that kind of really professional sound and we went on from that to become quite anal about the sound in general we wanted it to sound as good as that and if not better as you became more into production and as you'd always say I'm sitting barking orders from the sidelines it's just about that's the way we feel about it we want it to sound finished as he walked down that street with his head in his hands 
said towards the end of those sessions you disappeared off to, to Canada to paint houses and chase balloons if I remember rightly well we were enticed by uh, this great job offer of uh, being a balloon chaser and then when we, when we got there it just ended up a couple of balloons uh, yeah it didn't quite work out that way we worked to the company for a couple of weeks but uh, both of us were, were not fully committed shall we say and we're spending more times out partying at night and uh, we missed a couple <laughs> of appointments and uh, just so happened the balloon that we were using was uh, sponsored by the Yellow Pages and the rep from Yellow Pages came out to see with the balloon and of course we weren't there we were in our beds with a hangover <laughs> and so that was that was the end of our balloon chasing days but over there that was a bit of a transformation for me because over in Canada the industrial thing was really kicking off that's when I really kind of introduced myself to likes of Nine Inch Nails and Skinny Puppy and Ministry my whole musical kind of outlook changed quite dramatically so when I came back we were on quite different paths really. yeah you definitely had that industrial bug and I didn't profess to understand it but you went off with the decon thing that began a whole new adventure for you I sort of threw myself into that and you threw yourself into family life didn't you pretty much although Jimmy and I continued to work we did a few tracks on the, on the four track we were used to using something better by then, but we were still using just basically making demos in the four track. We did come up with some decent tracks. Jimmy started writing on guitar, which was a different avenue. I remember you sending me a tape of the tracks, and I can remember thinking these are really well written and the nice songs, but they were just so poorly recorded. And we were already used to better quality of recording with obviously a, a talented guy like yourself, but also we'd done studio sessions, and the four track just wasn't. It wasn't cutting it, was it? And it, it, helped, it, it, sorry, it drained our enthusiasm, I think, a bit. It'd be safe to say. Mm hmm. But then away we went, did our separate things for four or five years. I went away and did my own thing for a while. Went back to college, got my HND in sound engineering and all that. Came out of that and then immediately, well not immediately, after a couple of months I got a job at Radio Clyde uh, as the one of the engineers in there. And uh, after about a year, progressed into commercial production which meant I got my own studio and it was uh, in the studio I thought to myself I've not really heard much from Kev I phoned you up and said what are you up to and then it was uh, I've got a couple of tracks I could do getting looked at we took one of the tracks that Jimmy had written in that period and we brought it in the studio and we redid sections. I think we re-recorded the vocals, we redid the guitars. We, d we did the vocals on Precious as well. But the song that was the standout for me was The Reason Why. And I remember getting Gordon Bogue, the newsreader at Clyde, to come in and do the weather report for us. North Biscay, south or southeast, nearing northwest, later, six, five, occasionally four. And if you have to go, Take your things, just let me know And I wonder why I wonder why Have no regrets Take your chance, believe me You'll return again, my friend The studio thing was, you know, it was great. It felt as if, you know, at last we were in 
actually doing music I knew roughly what I was doing well more than I did Manchester I had a good laugh we did. did a couple of songs it was good to have Jimmy back in the fold and three of us it was like we'd never really been away it was a good maybe two or three months yep incidentally on the decon thing I mean you, I know you covered that all a lot in your podcast with, with Baz which was really interesting different thing altogether decon but I think you'll remember I was one of the ones that did say this is way ahead of its time I mean, yes. Decon was, I think, had you had the right backing, and I think it had been four or five years later, maybe three three to four years later. You know, I, I think you'd have had a big chance of cracking that. I just think the gear lets the enemy, but... But that, you know, those that was the technology of the day. You'd have needed somebody to say, these guys have got the industrial thing, let's get them in a studio, but, you know, that was the way it was then. That was the days of audio tapes and A&R men. Exactly. Couldn't record an album in your bedroom then. You know, I don't know what's worse though. In some ways, I'm, I like the evolution of music for musicians because we are now able to pretty much do it yourself at home. And that has been a huge benefit. And I'm sure there's loads of musicians that would never have got anything out at all because they couldn't have afforded a studio. And they've been doing a track on GarageBand. And you hear a lot of music you would never normally hear if it wasn't for modern technology. No, you're dead right. And I think that brings you on to where we went next because we had this sort of eight to 10 year hiatus. We were, you say we were obsessed, we went away and did our own things, family life. Jimmy went away and started a family, moved to Edinburgh. I think I started in my own business. I certainly had three children. Well, I mean, I lost interest in making music altogether. I ended mm. up having a wee spell of clubbing a lot for a good few years, which was great. Don't regret it at all. But, no, no. but um, I was very much, you know, dance music was really what I was listening to at the time. But in that time, the technology, had evolved uh, luckily for me you understand all of that I'm a technophobe you're a technical person so and that you know I think you contacted me and I think it must have been around about 2007 2008 you got a whole lot of new gear yeah working at Clyde they gave me a, a Yamaha O2R digital desk because it was getting scrapped and there's there absolutely nothing wrong with it <laughs> and I said right well I'll take that home so I took it home and then dug out my old keyboard is that the same desk we still have nah, it's still, uh, that's the one there, still yeah. sitting there in its box yeah, that gave me sort of the gear bug again. And so I started buying stuff off of eBay. I bought a whole bunch of racks, um, you know, synth racks, Korg MR3, which wasn't great. The Korg Wave Station, which was really good, really liked that one. And I got a Virus Polar as well. That's actually probably the only proper synth I've ever really had. It's a, it's a nice bit of kit. It's an old school thing, isn't it? Proper analog, old school, but fantastic. Analog, but with digital aspects to it. So it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. And um, I had written my first song in, I don't know, a good eight years anyway at work in Clyde's and I brought it back and phoned you up said you fancy come down and have a listen to this and uh, that turned out to be the sort of renewal wasn't it really it That's was, it all was, kinda, yeah. I was living at the farm at the time I'd just upgraded yeah. from a PC to a Mac it was Logic Light at the time which was just you know revolutionary for me really it just changed my whole way of recording you know multi-tracking but man all right saying a lot of this song we're talking about it was on the PC and you had to try and get it to the Mac I was using Cubase right. on the PC it was very buggy though it kept crashing remember it just took an hour to load and for it to start up and then it would crash regularly and it was sucking the life out of me so I decided to bite the bullet and move to Macintosh best thing I've ever done the, yeah. the MacBook Pro has yeah. totally changed my life for the better so we'd done this song called Into the Fray no no Return to the Fray uh, which was metaphoric really in a number of reasons because we hadn't really done it for 10 years to be fair it was your track but for me I was blown away by this technology all these, these there was samples I think the song was mainly made up of loops and you know, samples and stuff that you'd put together 
uh, which to be honest I don't think we've ever really quite gone back to for various reasons but I was still not too with the fact that we were using this technology and fusing it with an actual song if anything lit a fire that, that track certainly lit the fire and it was if I remember rightly it did achieve some pretty good reviews uh, you know the other thing that happened around about this time was the birth of the platform SoundCloud which we really bought into you first of all me quickly afterwards and this was all these musicians coming together home musicians playing stuff because in the, back in the day, we would write something, record it. I don't even think our friends really heard it. Well, if they did, they weren't that interested. It, no. it was difficult to get folk who were in the same wavelength as us. Form, all of a sudden, there was these people all over the country, all over the world. That, that was, you know, we had people in America, Russia, all over the place listening to your songs and saying, you know, and talking well, to you. Well, it was the comments that really drove us because we never really had anyone say, oh, I really love your song or I love your yeah. bass here. And, and I think, you know, all these wee compliments. The lust for comments. Well, it, it just it just <laughs> drove us. We thought, actually, you know what? We're actually not that bad. Yeah, we weren't that shit. So it was worth doing it just to get one person to say, I really like that. That's really good. Yeah. And before you knew who you are, it built up for us over a year or two and gave us a, you know, as much of a platform as we'd ever have. Because I think it's fair to say we never really, we were never in this, for, unlike the people that we were talking about earlier who were, Andy, bless him, was, he wanted the rock and roll fame and I'm not saying if it ever came knocking on the door, I'm not sure what we'd have done, but we weren't after that, we no. just wanted to do it. We wanted to do it for each individual track and that's something I don't think has changed for 35 years. We just wanted to do it for whatever the track felt like and I don't think we've always necessarily adhered to it. We've, we've done songs we've thought at the end of it we thought it's alright but it's, it's not maybe us and that's just a fact. Well, I think that's just part of just spreading your musical wings and, and trying things and I think that's a good thing that we do is try different styles and I don't think it maybe helps you get a, a, an all-in sound. I think sometimes if you're a, a blinker person and you do that then you have a, a particular sound but we've always had quite eclectic taste between us I mean you were always into totally different music well no that's, that's not fair you, you, we shared musical interests but you went off on that whole industrial vibe and listened to a whole lot of stuff to this day you'll talk about bands I don't really uh, I don't really know Skinny Puppy yeah, the, so, revol the revolting, the revolting, the revolting phallics. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, but at the same time, and I, I think at that time I was listening to, I, I love my movie soundtracks, which I know you do, and I still listen yep, to a yep. lot of classical soundtracks, and I was listening to crooners, old-time crooners. Uh, a lot of the time that's driven through your, maybe, I don't know, the record collections that are in your house. We had Frank Sinatra in the house, we had Neil Diamond, all these stuff which I probably would never have admitted listening to but I did listen to them and I think that shapes you for who you are later on in, in your musical life No, absolutely So we did that track which wasn't really like you were saying earlier we didn't actually play anything on it it was all loop based But I still quite like it to this day because it was it was a technological thing for us So yeah, I mean Return to the Fray wasn't necessarily where we were going to be going I think we realised quite quickly we liked it but we hadn't played anything and although we weren't musical geniuses we realised we wanted a bigger input but I'll tell you what we did learn from it, it's things like we knew that samples would have a place in what we did and we used samples a lot as, as the time went on. And then as we were doing that, there was a competition, wasn't there? Started by Gary Newman to do a remix of one of his tracks. Yep. And that was when we decided to give that a go. That was probably the first time we sat down together. Although we didn't write it, again, we were playing off stems. We were adding our own we stuff on top of it. So um, that was quite a good project and it got us into the whole production thing. It got me especially into it. I was loving spending time getting nice effects and getting used to logic at the time as well. That kind of kick-started us because we got quite a good response from that. Although we didn't win the competition, we were, I think we were the third most played. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad. There was not hundreds of entries to this. There was, hundreds, yeah. Two, two or three hundred, so it was, it was quite a lot. I think from a production point of view, that you know, production's more than that. 
productions. I could hear what I wanted to hear. You're able. You were physically able to put it into into practice, and we, we would. And we still to this day have that kind of. It's a big part of the music. You know, we're not people that pick up an acoustic guitar and play a track all the way through, particularly. But we will. We can discuss a, a, an idea in great depth, and we both know where we're headed on it. So the Newman thing gave, gave us a taste for the production side of things, and then we really moved on to our first big SoundCloud hit, didn't we? It was uh, the Unwinding <laughs> Coil. <laughs> I like that, a SoundCloud hit. I think to this day it's still got the most comments on any track uh, that I've got on my page. Uh, yeah. There was a couple of folk that absolutely were creaming them. Remember that, that woman from Australia? Her and her husband kept going on about how great it was and why, why we weren't the chart. He actually was one talented guy. Know, He's was he was a, some pianist, that guy. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was a big undertaking. There was a lot of work in that, there was a lot of tracks. Yeah. There was uh, a lot of thought went into the construction of it. We even got my pal Gavin to do real so did, remember? So that was the first song that we used, the Omnisphere. All right. Which I just bought, I just probably started doing that track. And that was just a wash with Fantastic sounds, like you know, fabulous. guitars that sounded, you know, real. You really couldn't tell the difference when you, yeah. although you're playing it on a keyboard. Uh, yeah. If you play it in the style of a guitarist, plucking, it just sounded like a guitar. It was fantastic. Yeah. So we used a lot of that. The strings as well were really lush and lovely. And you know, it's a track I don't tire of hearing. No, me neither. Uh, it was a long time ago. I think most tracks, you, especially when they're yours, you move on. Still put that on. I think it's, I like that. That's a good track. Yeah, and it was the one that really got us the SoundCloud bug um, just because of all the love it received. I think it just drove us on to do more and more and more and get better and better and better. We're not really known for covers, particularly, but there was an advert on the telly that was using Where Is Your Mind. It was for a holiday travel agent, and uh, it was a lovely soft version. I thought, wow, that's really nice how they've totally changed that song. And I realised then that the chords were quite simple. I thought, I'm, I'm maybe just try having a wee jam about with that myself. And in the space of a few hours, found the chords, put it through a sort of a weird sequencer on the atmosphere, and lo and behold, you could tell what it was, but it sounded totally different. And that was the start of uh, our cover version of Where Is Your Mind by the Pixies, which actually turned out to be, and still is, the most popular track on, on the page. It's had over 8,500 plays. Where is 
no doubt that when you do a cover of it, there's people going to SoundCloud to find their favourite songs or versions yes, thereof. Uh, but listen, you came up with the majority of the music, I'm pretty sure it was all used. It was a very much a production track, if I remember rightly, but brilliantly done. And I like the fact that it mixed, we had Baz on there of Decon fame singing, doing a bit of vocals. Yeah. We had Anya. Anya from Holland, yeah. Almost a sample she did. It was, it was really good. Uh, I just I just loved the mix of it all. And it's still, again, very listenable. It's been covered to death, that song, I have to say. It's been covered by loads and loads of people. And, you know, you're, you're saying we're not famous for our covers. We're not. I think as we've got a bit older, we've done a few more where we feel they're worthwhile. Well, some better than others. Some better than others. We did Atmosphere by Joy Division, but that was like my idea. I know it wasn't your favourite song, but it's always been close to me. And we, I think we overcooked it. And we just changed it too much, so much so that other people that really loved that song, when they heard it, it was so different and, and so not what people would be we'd be expecting to hear that it didn't get a lot of love a lot of folk didn't like it in fact I get kicked off of a Joy Division fan club page on Facebook for daring to post it it got absolutely slated and then and then they kicked me off the group <laughs> but does that say more about people who want to hear a cover they don't really want to hear a cover they just want to hear a replication and I've, I've always had a problem with that which is why we maybe don't do many covers I don't, you know, I get really angry at social media when they come on and say, ah, it's rubbish, it's nowhere near the original. Well, of course it isn't, because you're not... What's the point? You're, what's the point of doing it if you're trying to recreate the original? I don't I don't get that, I don't see the point in it. I'll, whereas, I'll quite often hear covers which I hate, but I think, well, you know what? They take the tempo down, they change the orchestration, and it sounded completely different. Didn't like it, but it sounded completely different. And other times it works really, really well. No, I'm with you. Uh, but you're right, I don't think we pulled it off very well with that particular track, but we did pull it off, or you pulled it off well with Where Is Your Mind, I think that worked well. And also, I mean, the other one that I thought worked quite well uh, was the Bruce Springsteen track. The Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen. Yep. Again, you brought that to the table, it was a big track for you when you were... I didn't really know the song particularly, but I do like it. It's one that I really do like. Atmosphere wasn't a faved track for me, but I think the Springsteen track was good. I mean, The Secret Garden was one of my favourite songs, really, uh, from that film with Tom Cruise and Rennie Zellweger. The show me the money one. Uh, the little love entanglement towards the end of that movie just reminds me of that so much, and I've always loved it. So For such a big rocker, Bruce Springsteen does have a habit between that and Philadelphia. Great, great slow songs. It reminds great me of balance. Philadelphia. Well, there's no doubt about it. He is one talented guy, and no wonder he's who he is and where he is. I've never seen him, but you know, he's one of those people, although I'm not a big fan. She probably always see Bruce Springsteen live. They say he plays about two and a half to three hour sets. I mean, I did get a lot of love on SoundCloud at the time from loads of folk, which was nice. Your mum, in fact, thinks it's our best song, so that's uh... It's always good when it's one you didn't write. <laughs> <laughs> but then, moving on to stuff that we did write, the next two songs we're going to discuss are, are two of my absolute favourites. The first one being So Am Rain, which is really your baby. It was your, uh, your creation. It was our first attempt at uh, string. Uh, arrangement. I wrote it, I think, on my, my keyboard in a string sound. And I could hear, I knew it was going to be better than, than what I was playing on my, my synth. If I had a for the It was the first time we'd used articulation in the editing of the strings, so we, you know, we got the whole swooping up, swooping down, and then we had layers upon layers, and there were cellos and Yeah, I think we've got violas. more control over the strings nowadays, but back then, I can't remember what was the package we were it using. It was that ember string thing, it was, it was quite a basic, remember? 
Yeah, but it was good. It was good. It's very real sounding. And we had to write every string. I remember feeling when it hit the, that story hit the news, I felt compelled I had to write something about it. I mean, there is and continues to be lots of tragic events. Uh, I think for me, I had I just had young kids at the time, and uh, it hit me in the stomach. Like, I just remember sitting watching it all unfold. And I couldn't believe something like this could happen. And sadly, there's been loads of things that have happened like that since, and, and will continue to happen. But you know, if music is really a proper emotion, which I, would, I believe it probably is, it's, it's not just a pastime then that was the kind of the essence of, of, of that for me at that time. We were obviously in that kind of, in that slow ballady phase and the next track that came up was uh, was Eugen, which uh, ended yep. up being the title track of our first album. Yep. And that was inspired by my lovely wife. Well, now wife, she wasn't my wife back then when I wrote it, but I was trying to show off and she was a new girlfriend at the time, so I thought I'd write her a song. And, yeah, so let's listen to a wee bit of Eugen. The morning sun it hides Behind the drawn blind It cuts the air Like broken shards That was a well, I certainly think one of your best vocal performances. The vocals very, very strong. Unlike our usual stuff, it's not swimming in loads of instruments. It's quite a close-up, wasn't it? It was quite a close piano and strings, and your voice right up close, right up front to the mic. Quite distressed. Yep, stressed sounding. Sounds if you could burst into Greek in any minute. So <laughs> no, that was good. But that's you know that's what made it work. How to make a happy subject very depressing. I think I can remember my mother saying to me, I thought, well, that's, you know, that does make you want to slash your wrists. That's a particular song. <laughs> what mission accomplished? <laughs> it's now the ringtone for me when my wife calls, so uh, hopefully it won't make me slash my wrists. But, um, so, yeah, that was that. And then the next track was a bit more ambitious. Certainly musically, it was more ambitious, quite a complex track, lots of sections to it. A lot of folk have referred to it as our Pink Floyd track because it's quite complicated and it has movements that kind of moves from like four or five distinct sections that are all sound quite different but all comes together really well. Yeah, I mean, for me it was a... I think we tried rightly or wrongly. We were trying to get that kind of Blue Nile vibe overall. That was something you, me and Jimmy really all shared was our love of the Nile. They have a particular atmosphere and I think we tried to create that. And again, we had the odd little sample bleeding in there. It just had it had a nice atmosphere. It actually got to number one in the SoundCloud's ballad charts. I remember being very excited when I logged on that day and uh, checked the charts to see what's what. And there we were. Well, actually, when I first looked, we were number three. And I was like, oh my God, we're number three in the charts. And I, th I think I phoned you straight away. <laughs> and then by the time I phoned you, I was talking to you, obviously, and it jumped number one. Which was yeah. phenomenal, couldn't believe it. It was number one for a, at least a week, maybe yeah. even two. Yep, yep. It meant a lot to us because the cloud was a great, at that time, SoundCloud was a great place to be for, for creators, for amateur writers. Whereas, I'm afraid nowadays it's sold, kind of sold its soul, but in those days it was great. It was just a whole bunch of people, some better than others, but just, you know, sharing ideas. Amidst the trap, I hear laughter through the rain. Take the blame. 
people watching Clear skies turning gray Time to join The pedestrian Our next song was called uh, Gaia which was a very slow, sombre, ambient piece um, began off as an instrumental we didn't really have any thoughts to put a vocal on it but then as the song progressed we decided that a vocal might work and uh, Kevin weaved his magic and it became a bit of an opus It's too long in my opinion I, if I remember rightly I think I wish we cut it by a verse great construction in terms of the drums but that was I think right at that point we discovered better drum sounds because we're not neither of us are percussionists well, hang on, no, no, I, have to, I have to hold you up there okay. because the drums that we used in Guy were all samples I know but what I mean is we created a better sound with the drum all of a sudden we realised a little bit more of the importance of percussion and as technologies go on as the tracks develop we changed our ways a little but there's no other song has percussion on it like that it's almost like a big pipe band it was our departure from our normal, very much experimental. I mean, I still listen to it on a regular basis, and usually when I'm listening to it in bed, it sends me to sleep, yeah. which is... <laughs> I don't know if that's Fairly a typical thing. of a Tempest song. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of of that ilk. Mm. A moment of silence. something a bit closer to your hearts I believe this is another one of your uh, yeah, Birmingham, babies I, I, to this day I think Birmingham with today's technologies could probably be a better produced song you know it was that close to the heart subject I had strong feelings on it it was always a, a bit obsessed with Martin Luther King don't know why but he was, he was assassinated the year we were born and I, I kind of grew up with him being a kind of a hero figure you know I, I think as you get older you realise he was just a bloke who uh, had like many flaws but he's well remembered because he achieved a lot of great things with great temerity. He was, he was totally obsessed with what he had to achieve and he, he achieved a lot. And uh, I just thought that, you know, Birmingham, as in Birmingham, Alabama, not Birmingham, as in the north of England, which was at the time the most segregated state in America, or city rather, um, in, in, in Southern America. It was absolutely brutal. They used to torture and just because of the colour of people's skin, they would have a right go at them. They would set churches on fire and beat up kids in the street. I think the mayor, Bull, was a horrific character. Uh, I remember the image of the dogs attacking the black folk in the yeah, streets. Was pretty which we used as the as a cover. Yeah. How do you tell your seven-year-old It's the color of your skin You just ain't getting it 
Birmingham was the you know, that was the place that I think the civil rights movement started in Birmingham moved on obviously Martin Luther King's big speeches was all important and I think it was about a year later this, the, the big march happened and they eventually got the, the civil rights movement passed we're going to talk just on a couple of other songs that are quite heavy on the content as well the first one was Heaven Sent which uh, is really about the horrors of Domestic abuse, isn't it? It is, but also we, we it was our first kind of sojourn into sort of a jazz background, which we'd always wanted to do. We'd never really been able to, we didn't have the knowledge or the technology to do it, but we managed to craft a kind of a jazz background to it. Well, we've got the help of Stuart Gaines, who's a gifted acoustic guitar player. But, you know, my brief to him was, you know, we're looking kind of like, you know, a David Sylvany, you know, very abstract uh, guitar plucking type melody. And to be fair to him, he sat down within two minutes, he dealed it. He was, uh, very talented guy, not unlike myself, and uh, <laughs> and that really helped carry the first half of the track. The lyrics are quite clever and yet very heartfelt, and it's a powerful song if you listen to it closely. We've always been into tracks like that that had something to say, you know. And I think when we wrote that, we we're thinking particularly of songs like uh, Sylvian's Orpheus, you know, great songs which don't necessarily. It's like a depressing song, as we said earlier. It doesn't have to be about something depressing. People see it's depressing maybe because it's down tempo, it's got a lot of minor chords, maybe the vocalists are baritone, automatically it's depressing. It doesn't mean it's a depressing song, but likewise, you could have a, a jollier jazz track that's actually about a horrific subject, and that's what that track Orpheus taught, taught me about it. And I think that's the kind of vibe we're going for. And it's about a horrible subject, but all too, all too common a subject as well. And I also think that we come from a time when songs were about things. Nowadays, if I'm being a right old fart, they're not always about things, are they? They're always about love and... You know, we liked songs that had something to say. The next track was, a, again, a total change in direction uh, from jazz to... Not quite sure what... It was more up-tempo for us and, and, and it had samples in it, again, brought back in by yourself. And some quite heavy guitar as well. It, it borders on rock, nearly, which is very unlike us. God forbid. This is the first track that we brought in another guitarist, a work colleague of mine, Mark Cowan who is the music producer at Clyde. He does all the jingles for the radio adverts. He went on to do quite a lot of guitar for us, didn't he? In he did, tracks, when did. he could fit us in. This was the first one he helped us out with. I think Andy's vocals as well. I think that's been a problem for us, that we don't have backing vocalists. I can't really sing. So it was nice for Mark, who's got a, a nice voice, and it's a bit of a higher register than yours. Absolutely. So yeah. it fitted quite well. He was almost singing like female backing lines, but it worked a treat. Yep. The samples in this were terrific. Probably my favourite set of samples in any of our songs. Agreed, yeah. Exactly what the song's about, the God Complex. The question is, do I have a God Complex? So, okay, well that's the God Complex. Let's move on to 
a completely different change in pace. Our next track was uh, Driftwood. A lot of people saw this and they thought it was a cover of a Travis track. Great song, but that's not what it was. It was a really heavily covered news story about a, a modern day refugee problem, wasn't it? Yeah, Highlight, well, the wee kid getting washed up Highlighted on the beach. by a child being washed up on a Turkish beach and like a, like a bit of driftwood. Yeah. It was right to be heavily reported, but it was very graphically photographed and shown in the news. I, I kind of objected to that a bit. It was grim. But it, it still, it just made you want to say something. And what I liked about this song was it was quite short, it was quite to the point, it was very atmospheric, it didn't have a lot of words in it, but yeah. This is a bit of a crowd pleaser stay and it's very catchy, you, you know, you, you find yourself tapping your foot and I love the lyrics as well. It's quite upbeat for us. <laughs> Fairly complicated, there was quite a lot of work into this, yep. a lot of layering, especially towards the end. Again, Mark Cowan came in and helped us out with, with some backing vocals and a bit of guitar. Quite lengthy uh, for us, you know, not quite on the old decon stakes, but it's... Is it? Yeah, it goes on, it's got quite a long ending, which was what we tried to achieve. Because it had that kind of hip, we, we hoped it would have that kind of hypnotic chugging along the way. I think a lot of the Nile tracks it had, which is one of the things we were going for. We then did a track, if I remember, right, called Heaven's Corner Shop, which you had in a dream. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's a funny one. This this is actually about uh, it's quite a song, although it's quite an upbeat track. It's quite a somber subject matter. It's actually really about the death of people that I've known in my life, my brother. My best pal Martin, uh, my other friend Brian Lennon. So yeah, it, although it's, it sounds like a cheery track, it's actually it's actually not. <laughs> True Tempest tradition. Aye. And this track got a lot of... You were never over the moon with it, but I loved the bass on it, the bass, sort of synthy bass line, and I think they, we got a lot of love in SoundCloud. People loved it. I, I, you know what? I don't think it's that I didn't love the track. I think for me it was just too close to the bone, and it, you know, it reminded me of the reason that I wrote it, I guess, and that which is off sad things so yeah. that's maybe why I've yeah. you know I tend to skip it when I'm listening to the album it's the, it's the only track I'll kind of go off I'll just I'll just miss that one um, you know not that it's a bad track it just yeah. takes people differently I suppose And are we changing direction with uh, And Then? Mm -hmm. This was uh, a project actually that started off being something else, uh, a track called Butterflies that we were trying to recreate from the from the way back in the day when yeah, Jonesy with playing Jonesy. the guitar. Yeah. So we were trying to recreate that song that he wrote with us. I don't think we quite got it right, uh, but it transformed into another song, which was this. So I went on YouTube and found stems from, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but 
It was from Slum Village. They were great stems. It was a lucky find. I basically went onto YouTube and looked for stems in the key of, I think it was key of G, and here was this track. And so they'd taken all the music out of it. It was just the vocal stems, which was ideal. So, and they said on the, on the channel, if you want to use it for your musical purposes, go ahead. So there was no copyright issues. Quite different for us having rappers mixing with Kevin's vocal, but I think it, I think it kind of works. It's a, it was a, it was a nice fusion. To my thick chicks down in Texas, all the way to New Orleans, where the girls cook catfish, and in LA, every chick's an actress. Hollywood status with the shaded glasses. To Detroit, yeah, the place that I rest. And New York women are way too fresh. Too much on your mind. Let me ease that stress. I wish you all were mine. It was definitely different. It was a different track for us and probably not something we'd venture into, but it comes back to that, spreading your wings, trying different things, and I think we pulled it off okay. When we released it, there was a lot of people, I think, listened to it on SoundCloud and thought, oh, I must listen to more of this stuff, this band stuff, and then, you know, proceeded to think, what the... On the other side of the coin, there was a lot of people that like our stuff that came on and heard it and went, what the hell's this? Remember yeah. uh, Lee Lucas? Wasn't too complimentary about it. Yeah. Uh, and Mark Bennett, who's usually got a good thing to say about everything, even he didn't really yeah. want it. So, wasn't for everyone, but hey-ho, you know, you've got to try these absolutely, things. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we moved on to an art strike called uh, Saltwater Black, which uh, was something that you felt quite strongly about, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was another subject of fascination for me when I, I think growing up, I always wondered where all the big fancy houses that we had in Scotland, these big baronial homes, and I just wondered where it came from, where all the, a lot of them are abandoned and, you know, had the roof ripped off during the rates, thing to save money. Just wonder, always wondered where the wealth came from. Street names are a thing that fascinated me as a kid as well, and still when you look today, all the street names, I know that's become very topical now, but you had all these funny names from great celebrated Glasgow merchants, tobacco lords. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking these were great guys who founded the city, who put loads of money into the city, which they did. Um, and I think it was 2007 or something, they sort of unearthed it and published it, the historians did, about why we had so much wealth, because it was all in the back of the slave trade. And it's become, you know, it's chattel slavery more to the point with people that were chattels in irons and really horrific. I think it, at one time, sort of three out of four plantations across the, the Indies, the Caribbean, were all run and operated by, by Scottish people. I mean, that's just that's phenomenal. Mind-blowing. No, you wouldn't have thought that. I was always interested in it, and I think as you get older, you learn about this, and you start to realise you know, Glasgow's not all built on fabulous uh, industry. And to be honest, I think the involvement in the slave trade and the, the trafficking of people, well, that's what kick-started the Industrial Revolution in Scotland, and particularly in Glasgow. Anyway, I, this, the, the reason I think this song started was because I was always fascinated by John Glassford, who was, a, who was one of those tobacco guys, made his money in tobacco this story where he had a family portrait because back in the day the family portrait was the statement of big you know it was a big usually the portraits were big and they were huge and they showed the opulence and the wealth of the guy and he had a black servant in it who was painted out which I just thought was brilliant he was painted out after it became unfashionable when slavery was finally uh, made uh, illegal 1833 or something so he had his family portrait and he painted out the black guy because it was now unfashionable as well as his, I think his wife. He's, is that not in the art gallery? It's in the People's Palace, I believe. Sorry, People's Palace. Uh, anyway, that you know, and I thought that was fascinating. The rest of the song, the rest of the lyrics were made up about a wee bit of a fictitional, fictitious, sorry, um, situation, which was a common one of of, of you know slave uh, s s plantation owner fathering a child with a known slave girl, which was a common thing apparently. And I think the tradition was when when you died as the, as the as the owner they were given their freedom, but you never acknowledged the child. This was apparently horrifically common. 
and that, the rest of it's just made up of what you know, what his life might might entail from that that point forward. So half of it's fictitious, and the chorus is really about the painting, which I just always thought was phenomenal. It was quite a unusual decision for us to have the big instrumental break. It was, it was. Not everybody liked that. No. Well. Maybe in retrospect, it was maybe a bit long, a big sort of build up. We yeah, thought we were saying great, this kind of building and building, but I, I, it was maybe too long. But it was, it was an interesting idea to try. Saltwater Black, incidentally, is a, it's a reference to buying slaves straight off the boat because it's, it's cheaper to do it there than do it at the market, apparently. And they were known as Saltwater Blacks. Did not know that. Every day's a school day when you're at Kevin Fleming. Sorry, yeah, droning on. The next track that we did, A Moment's Peace, which became the title of our second album, uh, yeah. was, and still is, maybe my favourite song, actually. It was mine, and I think we'd come to one later on called Lighthouse, which took over for me, but I think it, it saw a pinnacle of where we all of a sudden, we were achieving the sound we were heading out to, to, to get. Production, everyone worked really well, the sounds were good, everyone flowed well. Great the, build. The, nice build, nice sort of weird break, although... As I've said to you the other day, uh, the sample annoys me a wee bit now, but you know, it is what it is, it's in there, can't change it. Yeah. But then it totally lifts off. So that was uh, A Moment's Peace. Like I said, it's the title track of the album, A Moment's Second Peace. Album, yep. And if you want to buy it, it's available still on Apple Music and Spotify. I think the next track we did was a track called Supernatural Romance, which was a, the first time we brought in somebody else to write words, which to me made a big difference because... Well, you'd be saying to me for a while that you were wanting someone else to do lyrics for a change to mm -hmm. maybe try and mix it up. So yep. we put my friend Ian White, uh, who used to play the violin with a band called The Bathers many, many moons ago, but he wrote to me saying, listen, I'm really liking what you're doing musically. I've got a few songs I've written, just lyrics. Would you be interested in maybe seeing if you can fit them around uh, one of your tracks? And so I said, aye, well, that's funny enough, Kevin was just saying to me the other day that he fancied 
trying someone else's lyrics so we did very different sounding for us which is exactly what we wanted it was and so and quite I, a rocky track well, really for it us. came that way because because of the lyrics the, you know, yeah. the lyrics weren't our usual sombre wrist-slitting <laughs> type of vocal it, it was quite upbeat but it was another part of that collective thing where we were trying to bring other people into the mix I think you get very insular just dealing with two people just dealing with the same stuff all the time and it, I think it helps I think we'd realised that it helps to bring other people in on, on various levels I knew Ian would want something upbeat so right from the get go I found a couple of good drum grooves and that kind of set the tone didn't it really <laughs> and then we found a nice sort of chucking guitar and then the bass followed quite quickly and it all kind of came together music came together quite quickly but it was quite different I mean I like it yep. it's a bit different for us you know, the style we probably won't revisit again it was a flash in the pan but you know got to try these things haven't you and then we did another cover which is you know not like us but we, we, we dared to cover a song from one of our favourite bands but it, The Mighty Blue Nile but it wasn't really a cover in it wasn't a song anybody really knew because it was a song that had never really been released we picked I can remember standing in the concert hall I think in Glasgow thinking that is a great song they played it for the first time and then there's a couple of versions of it existed on YouTube people recorded recorded with their phones and stuff and we picked up the pieces of it and uh, managed to cover it we had the balls to post it on the on the Blue Nile fan page, and it didn't. And we didn't get shot down like, no, we like normally. No, we did. Folk put up covers on the Blue Nile fan page. Blue Nile fans are very precious about Blue yeah. Nile, and they can be quite scathing. But yeah. we didn't really get any hate. Didn't get a huge amount of love, but it didn't get any hate. And to go back to what we said earlier about social media, you get this blinkers on sort of attitude, especially in, on fan pages on social media. It wasn't hated. Let's put it that way. Meanwhile, everything's changing. The next song is another track that uh, the lyrics were provided by Ian White again, a mutual friend of both he and I, Brian Lennon, passed away a few years ago and he wrote these lyrics about him really. I mean, I had an agenda when I started doing it, I wanted it to sound like London grammar. So I wanted that big airy reverb vocal and simple piano and lush chords and it, I mean it started off that way the first 20 seconds as I would say fits that bill but then it kind of swerved away we brought in some percussion and drums and it didn't feel like London Grammar anymore but still a, a very sentimental song for me about the death of a good friend um, great production on it again another one that went down quite well on SoundCloud a lot of folk quite liked it good lyrics by you they were good lyrics we had to change a few, didn't we? There was a there was a few that we changed, altered, yeah, you know, just to fit the song. But we changed a few. But I don't think I think it was just there's no malice in it. It's just because as a vocalist, sometimes some words don't sit that pretty with you, and you just have to make amendments. I run the river 
After we finished King of Catastrophe, we moved on to write another kind of quite a weird one in a lot of ways because you had the vocal already not done but in mind yep. and you only had very simple piano chords yep. uh, down. So for the first time ever, we actually recorded the vocal before we recorded anything else. Pretty much. And worked backwards. Yeah, and it allowed, I think what it created was a load of space because the piano chords are just big chords and, and, and it let us do so because we are pretty guilty of overfilling sound and I think it helped us create a really spacious sounding track. I've always liked the way the drums come in and out of this, you know, the bursts of energy, it's uh, it's quite refreshing. It's got a very cold feeling, the cover of the tracks are a frozen lake and the song lyrics revolve around freezing conditions and when I find that when I'm listening to it I can actually feel myself getting yeah, cold. and that's good because that's what it's meant to do but you know, like everything else it was meant to be a sort of metaphoric thing and uh, you know vain really if you like but yeah based around everything being cold crisp yeah and the fact that the river can overtake you and swamp you and pull you down the frozen skater free run the river Well, we're down to the last track of the evening before we move on from music. You know, it's not a great in-depth subject matter for me. There was no big deal to the back of it. I just think we created a great atmospheric on this, which we, we strive to do. And funnily enough, one of the last things we did, I think. I mean, it's funny, when we were writing this, I remember the jam, the night we were just jamming the chords around, and we really had no idea what we were going to call it or what it was about or anything. Yeah. And then I found a picture of a lighthouse... Uh, just to put on SoundCloud, just to have as a cover. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. As soon as I saw the picture and sat listening to it again, I could hear the chords, uh, the pads swirl and change. It's as if you're listening to the or watching the lighthouse light turn, turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get that impression of the lamp turning round, which wasn't intentional. I mean, that wasn't really what it was about at all. Yep. Yep. It's funny how that sort of shows you how visual. AIDS can sometimes be a big part of music. Certainly because, inspiring. You know, yep. Maybe that's why videos were so popular back in the day because you need some sort of visual yep. aspect to help you imagine the rest of the music. Um, got picked up by a YouTuber. He made a drone video for Deer Park in Dublin. Yeah, that's a promotional thing. And he got in touch to ask if we would mind uh, us letting him use this track for his music, which is the first time we've ever been asked to do a score for a film, is it? I think I it think is. so, yeah. That was very nice. So that's on YouTube now for all to see. Only thing was they had to, well, he didn't have to, but he decided to cut out Kev's vocal. Yeah, I don't think he mentioned that. I think he just wanted to keep the cool bits that was written by the talented guy. <laughs> But uh, anyway, so, okay, well, let's finish off this musical segment with uh, a little blast of Lighthouse.
we finished that. That must be... What is it? A year and a bit ago we finished Lighthouse. Well, we finished Lighthouse before December 2019. We really haven't lifted a stick since. We've had a couple of wee odd sessions. We've jammed stuff we haven't really put in together because, you know, that's the nature of lockdown. It's, it's been very debilitating. Not really had the chance. In fact, my wife is probably a bit better on the piano now than I am. She started lessons during lockdown and she's, uh, <laughs> she's actually coming on quite well. <laughs> I remember earlier you were quite a good lyricist as well, so let's uh, get well, in. She keeps, saying, she keeps saying, oh, right, I'm going to write a song, I'm going to write a song. She, she has been saying that for four I know, years. I know, and I've said to her, get time, in. she does poems for people's which birthdays. Are which are excellent. That's a great way to work. For You can get a bit of poetry. It won't necessarily fall in exactly as she writes it, but you know, you'll be able to craft it and cut it and yeah, shape well, it. I, I keep saying to her, and I'm hoping that once she gets a bit more proficient at piano, that I think she wants to write a song. I think that's her ambition is to be able to write a track. And mm-hmm. So I shall be encouraging that as the once and years go by. I mean, as for us, you know, lockdown has been, been a strange time for me. I've not worked really for over a year now. I get put on furlough in March last year and then in October ended up getting made redundant from Radio Clyde after, you know, 20 odd years there. So my life's taken quite a change. You know, my day kind of consists of getting up quite late in the morning, uh, walking the dog, doing a couple of podcasts if, if I've got work in, but it's much more relaxed. So I mean, I feel as if I'm in a better place now than I was. I've had no excuse for not sitting down and doing more music, which is why I was telling you the other day, I went out and bought myself a few bits of uh, new gear, got the new Atmosphere 2. Sounds phenomenal. I mean, I haven't even scratched the surface. It's such an incredible bit of kit, but I'm hoping that'll give me a bit of inspiration. And I've been buying the odd synth plug-in when I've seen them cheap on sale. So I've got a new Arsenal, just a case of now sitting down and going through it and hopefully getting inspired. And uh, Although, you know, we know that music comes from sometimes when you're very settled and life's okay it's not the best inspiration for writing music is it because it, it comes a lot of the times from pressures and strifes that, that hit you and uh, that's what inspires you to go and put pen to paper yeah and what about you what- I wrote two or three new piano tracks I've got stuff on the go which won't be necessarily piano tracks we have to decide how, we, how we're going to orchestrate them I think you know moving forward we need to create a sound I think the whole having eclectic tastes and all the rest of it's great and we tried things and we've pushed boundaries you know but our own boundaries I mean but you end up sometimes you don't have a sound and I think a lot of these songs we've talked about tonight Supernatural Romance fine but they're not maybe us in terms of who we are I mean you can get carried away I think sometimes with the technology as as, as well so I think it's got to be back to the roots trying to be a bit more honest yeah a bit more honest and true to yourself yeah, okay, well, I'm up, I'm up for that as well. Just getting the time, isn't it, really? Uh, getting the time in amongst all this nothing to do in this. Well, uh, it's, it's funny, the, the least you have to do, the, the busier yeah, I seem. You're right. You're never as busy as when you're retired, that's what they say. And now, I've, you know, I've got to fight the wife off the piano if I want to have a wee tinkle to myself, because she's commandeering it. But you know what it's like? Sometimes when you're under pressure, you're working full-time, and you, you, know, you get together on a Friday night, you have a couple of beers, You've got a four hour, a three or four hour window, and that's when you create because that's the only time you've got. Sometimes you've got too much time, not a good thing. No, it's not. Doesn't mean it's a good thing because the pressure's not there. Sometimes you've got pressure, we just sit in here, we don't always talk, we just play, and that's that, you know, you can play for ages. Something nights, nothing comes other nights, lots comes. It's the way it goes, it's the way it works. When we were playing more regularly, the nights I was not having much done were few and far between, really. I mean, I think we're right in our stride towards the end of 2019. Everyone was going right, and then, you know, the whole COVID thing kicked in, and it's, yeah, it's, all, it's all falling away. Yeah, I think we're all lucky, because health has been 
fine so far for all of us. Well, all. excuse me, I actually had COVID in March. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, what I mean is, is, well, we haven't, you know, we and our loved ones haven't really had any death relating to it. There's plenty of people have had horrific, no, that's true. horrific times with it. Uh, and that's all I mean. But it's, you know, certainly it's been a bit bizarre. The whole thing's been totally strange. Stuck indoors. Yeah, it's been weird. I know. Well, let's just look forward to the day when we can get back to some sort of normality. Which is hopefully any minute, you know, when we get past interviewing people uh, and get to playing again, which would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, okay, I think we've probably covered everything yeah, anything yeah. you want to add yeah, to the conversation per- I mean no, not particularly it's been, I know it's been a bit of a sort of going through the old catalogue of music with us it's been very cathartic but it might be handy for people that are fans of our music to listen to this and get a wee insight into what some of the songs were about and what the thinking was behind them yep uh, and so yeah I hope you've all enjoyed listening uh, thanks again for joining us I'll be back next week with my friend Stephen Young who's a fellow musician and an ex uh, Radio Clyde employee he's keen to come on and talk about his uh, musical career which has been fairly extensive as well he was in a band when he was younger that was uh, fairly prolific in Glasgow Lassie Casserole so he did a lot of gigs but he's also become a solo bedroom musician a bit like ourselves and I actually joined Kev and I in several tracks so he'll be interesting and no doubt a good laugh so look forward to that just to say thanks very much again Kev for joining me that will be good catch us all later on Good night. cheers a blood-black nothingness, and dreadfully distinct against the dark. Recite your baseline. We're done.